Hello and welcome. My name is Kyle Nielsen, and this is How You Level Up, a podcast where I ask questions to help you become your best self. In today's episode, we're going to listen to an old recording from my book, Sharing Treasure. This was originally published in 2018. It's available on Amazon, and it's broken up into a number of different sections. So definitely check out the title to make sure you're listening in chronological order. And please enjoy this section of the book, which is Part 2, Stress. Part 2, Stress. Change is one of the few constants I have found in my life. My life is changing all the time. My goals, my jobs, my relationships change. My attitude and mindset change. My ambitions change. Everything. It all changes. Sometimes I create the change in my life, and sometimes the change that occurs is beyond my control. Sometimes the change transforms me, bringing an unknown part of who I am to life. Regardless of how it happens, my life will constantly change, and that change can be uncomfortable. The stress I felt growing up had to do with educational circumstances or social pressures. I received a poor grade and my parents would become upset. Why was I not applying myself? Or a dramatic love triangle appeared in my group of friends. Do I really have to pick a side? When I was involved in the drama, did I enjoy it? Where was all of the real stress? Where were the moments for me like the rustling of the bushes that my ancestors felt stress over? Obviously, we don't have to deal with the dangers that create real stress, like a tiger jumping out and attacking, but my mind is still triggered to react in a similar manner. Fight, flight, or freeze. Life and Mindset The Stress Engine and Drive When I was eight or nine years old, my parents registered my brother and I for an etiquette class. I think the classes were aimed more for my brother because he was older, and I got the short end of the stick. I was required to attend these classes by reasons of proximity. They taught us in the class what silverware to use for what course of the meal and what occasion, how to dress like a gentleman or lady, how to waltz. These are all things that I relearned as I grew up, so it's a guarantee that nothing out of the ordinary was learned in that class except for one thing, what embarrassment felt like. I remember while learning to dance, we would switch partners occasionally, and because this was an etiquette class, boys were required to ask girls to dance. This has to be one of the most nerve-wracking things a young boy can do. I did not know any of the kids in that class because the class was held in a different part of town from where I lived. I specifically recall there were two tall girls, maybe a year older than me, and both girls were the cutest in the class. I had danced with one of them previously, and when the song was over, she ran over to her friends and started to laugh and gossip. Shit, I thought to myself, what are they laughing at? Now I thought she might be laughing at how sweaty my hands were, or that I was ugly. I wiped my hands on my pants for good measure. Didn't want the next girl to think the same thing. As the class continued, the lesson and partners changed. I found myself standing near the other cute tall girl, and she was looking around the room, waiting for a knight to sweep her off her feet. The new song came on the speakers, and I took a child's deep breath, walk up to her, and asked her to dance. She looked me dead in the eyes 
with disgust across her lips and a wrinkle of her nose, she said, No way. The kids surrounding me started to giggle, each already paired hand in hand. Another boy swooped in and danced away with the cute tall girl. I was left standing between spinning couples of kids, each staring me down as they danced around me and laughed quietly. I wanted to run away so badly, but my brother was in the other room and class would not be finished for a while. Luckily, another girl did not have a partner and came up to me, but said nothing, allowing me to properly ask her to dance. And we did. I don't remember who that girl was that came to my rescue, thank you, because I never went back to that class. The tensions and nervousness I felt when she turned me down was overwhelming. I cried and pleaded with my parents that night to let me off the hook from another moment of despair in etiquette class. They agreed, but that did not save me from all classes. On the first Friday in middle school, my sixth grade life was looking up. I had my first French kiss that summer, and she said I sucked, but it was the first time, so I didn't let it bother me. Puberty was kicking in, and there was lots of new girls to oogle over. There was new kids to befriend, and the orchestra class tryout brief was in session. Students from the four elementary schools in my town all combined after fifth grade for middle school, and every elementary has their own little ensemble, so the middle school orchestra requires tryouts. I was a half-decent percussionist when I studied the music, so there was a shot I would be accepted. 150 kids sat in the briefing on semicircular bleachers around the conductor beneath us. As the instructor spoke about the obligations, class trips, competition opportunities, and practice scheduling for an orchestra student, my stomach began to rumble. My mother tells me that as a baby, if I would cry shortly after a meal, she would lay me on my back and press my legs towards my chest. Little farts would toot out from between my baby butt cheeks, and she jokes that I was called Farty McGee. While growing up, I would frequently have stomach pains after a meal. Laying my head down on my mother's lap while I waited for the pain to subside was a normal evening's course. I did not bother to find out the cause of the pain because it doesn't happen anymore. But looking back at what took place in orchestra class was nothing out of the ordinary. I sat near the top of the semicircle, stage right, and I had not grown accustomed to the middle school cafeteria food yet, and as the briefing for the class wore on, I felt my stomach move. I knew it was going to come out, so I tilted up one cheek for an easy and silent exit. The hard plastic chair, with potentially a loose screw I sat on, did not agree with my approach. It rattled as I let out what felt like a three-second machine gun fire. Everyone in the class looked my way, and being the only kid with a surprise look on their face, 150 pairs of eyes focused in on me. Laughter erupted across the room. The teacher bellowed like a demon for me to get up and wait by the exit. I stood up while everyone was laughing and walked down the small stadium steps towards the teacher, not once looking at him. I turned the corner behind the seats to stand near the door away from everyone's view. I wanted to run out of that door so badly, considered doing it too, but it was 15 seconds, and then the bell rang. The teacher wrapped up his briefing and told everyone to look over the paper that was handed out regarding tryout times. I caught eyes with everyone that left that classroom, 
keeping a smile plastered on my face, because if I was not smiling, I was going to cry. After everyone left, and the teacher gave me a thorough scolding, I went to my last class of the day. Luckily, not with anyone who was just in that room. The end of the day bell rang, and on the way to my locker, a friend in the grade above me rushed over. He explained that word travels fast in middle school, and everyone already knew what happened. He warned me to be careful and said he would say it wasn't me if anyone ever brought it up around him. I never ended up practicing that percussion piece given to me for the tryout. I was not to be associated with the orchestra. Instead, I hit the xylophone and drums randomly during my tryout to ensure that I would not be accepted. They probably thought I was an idiot. While I identified these two circumstances as quite stressful situations, my life seems to be riddled with stress in general. I have found that stress, like change, is a constant in life. If we think of life as a stress engine, the fuel is existence, and the path is experience, and our mindset creates the ability to drive. If I exist, I will feel stress in some way, shape, or form. The path on which I travel can be bumpy or smooth. It really depends on my previous experience. My mindset dictates my ability on the path, meaning how well I handle the bumps as they come. And oh boy, do they come. I will always live within this engine because the engine is life. And it took a long time for me to figure out how to put myself into drive and move at a regular pace. It took time because I was used to running away. I can recall two panic attacks, both of which were strategies of retreat. One time was an escape during a wrestling match at a sleepover. There were a few of us there, and wrestling for little boys is a fun way to pass time. A couple of matches in, and then it was my turn against Jet. I had greatly underestimated his strength and was losing, so to avoid a complete loss, I pretended to hyperventilate and have pains in my lungs, causing him to release me. It wasn't a complete lie, but at the time I had a sort of asthma. I stayed curled up in the fetal position, cursing myself in my head for not being strong enough, while he asked me if I was okay and if I needed anything. My strategy had worked. It got me out. No one else wrestled that night either. The other time was right after running a mile in gym class. There was a biology test that I didn't want to take the next period, so while finishing the mile, I once again pretended to hyperventilate. I think the teacher feared for my life because he called the ambulance. Volunteers from the high school pulled up in the ambulance next to the track, and I sat inside while they calmed me down. I was picked up from school and went home without going to classes the rest of the day. There's no way for me to pinpoint where the message oriented from, but I have been taught what to believe about stress. It's everywhere. The repetition in movies and shows compounds it, and the message is believed so thoroughly that common language speaks the concept. I'm stressed out. You seem stressed. Relax for a second. You should try this activity to reduce your stress. The message is clear. Stress is bad for you. It was an attempt of mine to avoid stressful situations as much as possible because I did not want my hair to start falling out from the pressure I placed on myself. I thought that running away from my problems, or at least from the ones I could run from, 
would save me from the stress of life and the stress of things outside my control. I was wearing metaphorical glasses that distorted how I viewed life, and it caused me more pain than the alternative. I believed that running away from my problems was the best approach for those stressful circumstances. Avoiding stress at all costs was the game, and I played in the major leagues. When I was a kid, my dad would tell me to pick my battles. He said it in situations where my parents would not let me hang out with friends, and the message was, get over it and fight another day. Sometimes the things we tell kids will bring them to extremes because the idea of moderation is not a fully comprehensible notion yet. It took time and many treasures lost and gained before picking my battles became a useful strategy and not a tool for running from problems. While in boot camp, much of what the drill instructors taught us was helpful for something. It was useful, but I didn't always know what that was. Without knowing the purpose of an activity, training often feels like punishment. Without knowing what the goal was, daily life activities feel like punishment and can be crushing. Why do I have to do this? Can someone just simply do this for me? The drill instructors paraphrased General George S. Patton's quote, A pint of sweat will save a gallon of blood, in crude and creative ways, but the meaning was never lost to me. The harder I pushed myself, the more I fought through my circumstances, the more able-bodied I would be for the challenges to come. When the military began my discharge process, the amount of stress I felt was overwhelming, to say the least. My life was being flipped upside down for reasons that I could have prevented. The stress of my failure was my fault, and my fault alone. My dream occupation was over, and the unknown world that awaited me was terrifying. What laid in wait for me out there beyond the walls of the security of military? Was I going to be able to handle myself? At the time, I had plenty of tools to work with, but that alone did not reduce the stress. The stress of the outside world at that time, and the stress of waiting to be discharged, the stress of being treated like a prisoner while I waited for paperwork to finish, the stress of looking like a failure to society, to friends and family, the stress of letting down everyone, and the stress of never being good enough in a relationship, and the stress of the stress to my health. These were the things I thought about. But that's the point. They were just thoughts, and I let them become my reality. The stress of not knowing what my future direction was, was devastating. I had plans, or at least abstract plans, for where I was heading, and now with my discharge, I needed to rearrange my life. I thought of a hundred different things I could do and threw them all out. None of them were me. None of them would be enough for that ambitious self. I worked my ass off at base while waiting for discharge papers because work kept me busy and kept my mind from going to dark places. These places often scare me. A fear of the unknown is not a simple trait. It is subliminally proactive. This fear can assist in preparations or contemplations of what is to come. We cannot prepare for everything the future holds. No one is expected to be a prophet. But we can prepare ourselves and hope that it is enough to assist in the struggle through the situations that unfold. Sometimes this preparation is still not enough, but it can teach valuable lessons 
and you can collect treasures along the way. Before the actual trial of my non-judicial punishment for the OTH discharge, I thought of ways I could somehow be retained. You could say that my mom got through to me. I asked the hotshot friend, Alexander, to speak on my behalf as a character reference. He agreed to do so and said that he would tell the truth because it would be more believable if he spoke honestly. He was well respected from our platoon because he was a hard worker with a no-nonsense kind of attitude. Of those I went to boot camp with, he was the first to receive the rank of corporal for our platoon. What he said in the trial would have an impact. But just in case it did not do enough, I also prepared a speech and memorized it for why I should be retained. In the speech, I would touch upon the awards I had earned from different schools and missions. During the trial, when asked if there was someone who would speak as my character reference, I said there was, and Alexander came forward. He started off by saying that I was a hard worker and was not afraid of a challenge. And then I forget the rest, because about 20 seconds into it, he also said that I was immature and childish. Whoa. I thought, wait a second, so I crack jokes and like to smile and have fun. Is that so wrong? Well, in his eyes it was. When I look back at the times in boot camp where I was singled out and punished, it was usually because I was smiling or laughing at something I found humorous. Maybe he was right. He finished speaking, and I missed the second half of it because I was in shock. I also could not remember the speech I wrote, so when the colonel asked me if I had anything to say for myself, I said no. Maybe I did remember the speech, but was so angry I did not want to share it. It's not that I was angry at my friend for sharing his truth. I was angry that he was right, and that I was me. I did not want to be me. I wanted to be better. I did not know back then what being better required. But I did know that sweating now would mean that I would bleed less later. When I joined the civilian world, I knew I needed to change my mindset. It was more than uncomfortable to realize that I was wrong about so many beliefs and had approached life erroneously. I did not want to be wrong. Nobody does. I wanted to know what I was supposed to do, but I didn't even know where to begin. One of the lasting things I did while in the Marine Corps was read books on topics that interested me. I was never a reader, using Sparknotes for just about every book in high school, except for The Odyssey. I was not enough of a person, and I knew I wanted to be considered at least adequate, so to get there, I would need to know more. I set a numerical goal for myself to read books on how to be a better me. It was painful and boring and I would go to Barnes and & Nobles and wade through the self-help and psychology sections, and none of them really jumped out at me. I was not a book person, but I forced myself to buy a few that I really liked, at least that I liked more than others. When I would bring them home, I put them near my bed, and it would remind me that I spent money on them, so I might as well read them. One of the topics I found most interesting was stress. It was a topic I was well-versed in, but as I read more and more, I realized I knew so little and could approach my stress from another direction. There was no way I could make my life less stressful, or more generally speaking, make life less stressful. 
I needed to make stress more harmonious with my life. It was only with introspection that I could do that and I could begin to make sense of how to live my life. Life is a stress engine, a conceptual machine constantly creating new stressful situations like a never-ending barrage of difficulties and complications. It is a road to which there is no map, there are no signs, and there is no profit-like ways to tell you what is up ahead. So I find the best way to live is to put yourself into drive and just start moving. When I move with the difficulties of my life, I am no longer running away, but rather moving towards my problems. My mind is a stress drive built over millions of years to adapt and overcome. By working through difficulties at one level now, I can better resolve the difficulties at the next level. The path feels less difficult to traverse. I gain experience and level up. No one told me it was going to be easy, but no one told me otherwise. I kind of found out that as stress appeared from behind a door, unwelcomed and unwanted. In many ways, I am thankful for the hardships I have experienced and the changes I have put myself through because they have built me into a stronger person. Countless times, these hardships have been self-imposed, and while I am in the middle of dealing with them and the adversity of them, it feels as if they would last forever. This is not the case, but I sometimes forget. I am aware that to protect myself from the cold during the winter months, I must grab a coat before I step outside. I prepare for the known conditions ahead, and if I do not grab a coat, it will be uncomfortable, even life-threatening depending upon how long I stay out there. I do not want to be uncomfortable, so I grab a coat. And even if I am still a little cold, at least I can better deal with my circumstances. I do not need to be comfortable all the time. Comfort builds complacency, and with increasing levels of discomfort, there is little willpower to press on. When browsing through social media a couple of months ago, I noticed a sponsored post selling anti-stress magnets. The product was a magnet you place on your ear and you would soon forget about the magnet and your stress. Obviously, this is a placebo product. There is no magic magnet which relieves stress. That is simply a product that is being sold to an idea of you being stressed out. It is a bogus cure for a misrepresented and deeply misunderstood human condition. I wanted to scream at my phone when I saw that, and at the creator of this product for nurturing the belief that stress can be cured. There is no magic product that will eliminate all stress, and the notion that once you have it, your life will be great. A desire to control our surroundings is unavoidable. No one wants to be in pain, be uncomfortable, or be looked down upon. But we cannot control our world, not in totality. We cannot control external forces which slither their way into our lives and complicate things. We cannot control other people or their feelings towards us. We cannot control the consequences of our actions or how others view them. So what is left is control over the self. Control over how we approach our problems. Control over how we react to life events control over how we view ourselves, and control over the focus of our attention. The attention we pay an idea or an action can build an expectation. This expectation can ruin us, like the expectations that I had 
in late August of 2017. My online classes for the fall semester were starting. My responsibilities at work were increasing. I was attending mindfulness seminars twice a week. I was beginning to formulate a mission for my podcast and pick out guests with the team to schedule timing for interviews. I was reading more than a book a week and listening to podcasts while I worked out. Honestly, there was just way too much going on in my life. I was thinking to an extreme. The mindfulness seminars helped, but I was under the illusion that I could handle everything. One of the classes was calculus, and for online math classes, I teach myself everything. I was contemplating this class schedule for the semester, the work that it would require, and the work that was required for the podcast and for my occupation, and it was a lot. But wait, stressful situations make us strong, right? Well, it depends on your capacity, and at the time, my capacity had topped out. So on Monday, August 28th, nearing the end of my working day, I lost my sight. Having been a designated marksman for the military, my senses are attributes on which I pride myself, eyesight specifically. And let me not lead you on here, I lost my peripheral sight for about 10 minutes. I'm not going blind in this story. Yet, let me not diminish either. A small circle of only just about a few inches, surrounded by a rainbow, in my direct line of sight, was all that I could see. It was as if my mind refused to complete the rest of the visual picture, and it scared me half to death. I motioned to my coworker that I had lost my vision. They told me to sit down and take slow, conscious breaths. I did, but my mind was in a state of panic. What if I go blind? What if I do not see normal again? Obviously, this was a short-lived panic attack, and my vision slowly returned. I left to work, but something inside of me felt uneasy. My stomach was in knots, I felt weak, and my head started to burn. I feared my vision would go out again because things started to look hazy, and I walked the nine blocks from my office at the time through Times Square and got on the bus to head home. During the entire bus ride home, I was keeled over in the seat. People probably thought I was going to throw up, and I felt like I could have. The temperature of my head felt like it was getting hotter and heavier. I stepped off the bus to walk home, and instead of hopping on the laptop to do calculus work, of which there were hours, I got into bed and laid down. I was so weak that when my parents came home, I called them to my room, but could only muster a weak whisper. I picked up my phone beside me, now a 20-pound machine in my hands, and slowly dialed their cell phones 30 feet away. I whispered into the phone for them to come, and I felt like it would pass, but it weighed on me so much that at the moment, I just wanted help. They came into my room, and when I whispered the events over the course of the last few hours, and how I felt, and where I was on the pain scale, they lifted me up from my bed and half carried me into the jeep to head to the hospital. In the end, it turned out to be an ocular migraine, a common type of migraine that is accompanied by loss of vision. For someone who has never had a migraine, wow, they suck. The doctor said it would have gone away on its own, but because of the medication they gave me, the pain would go away faster. The prescription was to take life a little slower 
and run hot water over rag and put it over my eyes once I was home from work and before starting homework. I stopped going to those seminars and I changed my degree from what I thought I should study to something I actually enjoyed learning about. I focused on what was of immediate importance, which happened to be completing school and that podcast. Both endeavors were progressing fabulously. This day gave me some new perspective. I had to ask myself, where was I spending my time? Was the time spent efficiently? Could I lessen the pressure I was putting on myself? And in what areas was that possible? I cannot completely rid myself of stress. That is just not possible. If I am alive, my life will be stressful. The stress engine is always turned on, but my approach to stress has changed. I do not react as much as I used to. I understand that feelings of stress are my mind working harder to deal with my situation, to find a solution faster, to work tougher so I can come out on top. And when I am overloaded, I know my anxiety can help to focus on what is truly important. And I know that my abilities grow with each problem I face and overcome. Not because I will overcome everything, but because I will accomplish the things that matter most. The capacity we build while placing ourselves in stressful situations allows us to deal with a larger problem in the future. It helps us build a sort of tolerance for the demand of our reality and the demand that we place on ourselves. Thank you for listening to another episode of How You Level Up, where I ask questions to help you become your best self. Now, I put this podcast together because I wanted to help you build up your emotional independence, your communication skills, and take the next step in your personal philosophy. If you liked this episode, turn on your phone and hit the like and subscribe button, give a five-star rating, and I'll see you on the next episode of How You Level Up.